Let's talk about the passion of Christ because over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at some characters. But before we look at our character today, let me, let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to bargain with God? God, if, if you will, then I will. God, if, if you'll just, then I, I, I promise, God, if you'll just, then I will do this. I think that's one of the first prayer requests that I ever remember in my life being answered was one of those times that I was bargaining with God as a young child where I had done something that I shouldn't have done and I was totally afraid that I was fixing to get in an awful lot of trouble. (laughs) And there was mercy and grace upon me. And I remember saying, there is a God as a young child. And you know, why do we bargain with God? Because we want to leverage God's power and his influence in a specific situation or circumstance so that we can get what we want or something that we feel that we want or feel that we need. Isn't that right? God, I want to leverage you and I want to leverage our power. I want to leverage uh, your resources to be able to do something for me so that I can gain something for my benefit. Or it may not necessarily be something for you or for your benefit, but it may be something for somebody that you know. It may be a child or a parent or next-door neighbor or an acquaintance. It may have something to deal with sickness, finances, loss of a job, or some other circumstance or situation. Are you with me? Well, the guy that we're going to talk about today, you might could throw him into that group of people that was maybe something that somebody that wanted to bargain with God. Maybe you've bargained with God and you didn't get exactly what you wanted. How did you respond? Did you walk away saying, I'll never return? What do we do and why do we bargain with God? Well, the guy we're going to look at today, we can maybe say that he not only tried to bargain with God, but we can also maybe say that he was a traitor, which may give away somewhat the character that we're going to talk about today as we talk about the passion of of Christ. Um, Now, on the outside... Because of who he, hang, who, he, who he hung around and who he spent time with, you would have thought that this guy had it all together. And you would have thought that this guy was, was really, man, this guy's really a spiritual guy. But if you really knew his heart and you could see behind the, the relationships that he had and got behind the scenes to the real motives, you could have saw that he was not selfless, but he was selfish and that he was self-centered. Um... His real motives, though in the end, would be finally exposed. The guy that we're going to talk about today is a guy by the name of Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. And when, as we read the story today, what we're going to find out is that Judas was really only concerned about the things or the ways that he could benefit. Anybody in here like that? Anybody in here only concerned about 
life and about how you can benefit. I mean, the only relationships really that you're concerned about, that really you have an interest in, are those relationships that benefit you. You don't really, are not really interested in serving or giving of yourself, but you're really interested in just, you know, what relationships can I be involved in that will benefit me in some type of a way. But we're going to find out today that Judas, it wasn't him. It was all about, it was all about me. All about me. And how many of us have the same exact attitude? But before we talk about Judas, I want to tell you a little bit of a story because let's put in perspective the other disciples. Because here's Jesus, and before we read about Jesus, or before we read about Judas, let's tell a little bit about what was taking place and what Jesus was talking about and what some of the gospel writers have to say and what was taking place during that time. Because here's Jesus, we find out, in the book of Matthew chapter 19, and you don't have to turn there because I'm just going to synopsize it very, I'm going to make it, summarize it very quickly. Here's Jesus and he's, he's talking about this guy, a rich young ruler who wanted to know how to have eternal life. And he asked Jesus that question and Jesus tells him what? Do you remember? What did he say do? He, goes, he says, first of all, he says, obey my commandments. And he gives him a list of things to do. And, and what, is, what does the rich young ruler say? He says, well, I've done all those things. And so Jesus comes back and said, well, listen, I'm so glad that you've done all those things. So why don't you go now and sell everything that you have? And why don't you go give your money to the poor and then come and follow me? Yeah. Sell all that you have and come and follow me. Well, if you know the ending of the story... What happened? He walks away because he didn't get what he wanted. It wasn't going to benefit him in any type of a way. Because in the end, he couldn't part with his stuff because Jesus wasn't as important as his stuff was. Jesus goes on to talk about how difficult it was for a man of, of possessions of, of much stuff to enter into the gates of heaven. Because he was distracted. And the more that we have, the more difficult it is to follow Jesus. Because the more that we have, the easier it is to trust our stuff than it is to trust Jesus. And I don't want you to miss what's, what I'm fixing to say because this is really important. Because this falls on the heels of, of where we're fixing to go. And I love what Peter says. Peter, the one that always seems to put his foot in his mouth, says something like this. We've given up everything to follow you. See, we're not like the rich young ruler. See, we've left it all behind. We've given up it all to follow you. And then he, then he makes this statement. What are we going to get? We've left it all behind, Jesus. The nets, the relationships, our community, our friends, our family. Listen, we've left it all behind. We've walked away from it. Now what are you going to give us? In other words, what's in it for me? If you've had kids, you probably have had a conversation like this. If you'll do this, then... then I'll do that. 
My son loves to say this to me, and he's not in here, so I can say this. <laughs> Daddy, if you'll scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Now, in the Christian world, in the church world, it goes something like this. Well, you know, I tithe every week. Or, you know, I show up every, I have 100% attendance. I've heard people over the years, you know, I've not missed church in 50 years. I've been the Sunday school director for 50 years. So what are you going to give me? And this might have been a question that Judas himself might have asked. Because, see, for, for Judas, Jesus was a means to an end. Because there was something that was going on in Judas's heart that most people could never see. Because he hung out in, in circles just like you and I do. He was there just like you and I do. And he, he spent time with conversations, sitting around the fire, just like you and I do. Talking about religious stuff, just like we do. But you couldn't see past, down to the deep of the motives of what really was taking place. And Judas's thoughts about Jesus, if we're to be fair, came from an Old Testament understanding that Jesus, the Messiah, who what he seemed to fit, Jesus seemed to fit that bill. I mean, the Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer, the one who would come to rescue them. I mean, he seemed to fit that bill. A crowd that would follow. Strong. Rescue them. And in that culture, from from the Romans. And yet there was, some, there was some exceptions to the rule because Jesus didn't hate the Romans like they, maybe he should have because if he was going to deliver them from the Romans, wouldn't you think that he would have, have an attitude toward them? Or maybe it was the issue of the fact of the religious leaders because if he was going to, to defeat the Romans, if he was going to, to bring the Israelites and, and sort of create this, this movement against them, wouldn't he need the support of the religious leaders? And yet... Jesus always seemed to be at odds with the religious leaders. And then there was this issue of money. I mean, if you're going to start some type of a movement against them, wouldn't you need some finances to be able to do that? Yet, for the issue was this, Jesus never seemed to have any money. He always seemed to be giving it away. He couldn't seem to manage his money. Think about that. So how in the world can you, can you be this Messiah, this deliverer, and yet there are these issues that are going on. We want to pick up the story today. In Matthew chapter 26, and I want to read this to you. They're in a city, or in a place called Bethany, just a little ways outside of Jerusalem. And this is what the scripture has to say as we take a look at the life of Judas really quickly today. And I ain't got a long time. So I want to pray for you. See, i got to stay on this timeline. I looked, and Brian's like getting over in 38 minutes, 36 minutes. you got to be kidding me. Somebody was paying him off. But I want to pray for you because I promise you there's somebody here that needs to hear what God's going to say today through his word. Not necessarily through me, but his word is going to speak to us today. Because there's probably some of us in this room that are just like Judas. Father, I asked over the next couple of minutes, would we listen very quietly and intently 
And might our, may our hearts be drawn, Father, to obeying you. May we be open today. Spirit, just would you speak to us in such a way, Father, that we're convicted, that we're brought under conviction to the areas of our lives that are inconsistent with the word. May nothing that I say, may it, may it be prompting, but may it be the Holy Spirit that prompts us today. In Christ's name, amen. Matthew chapter 26, verse 6, and this is what the scripture reads. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who, was previous, who previously had leprosy. And while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expenses perfume and poured it on his head. Now, if you're reading this like I, I am, you're probably going, what in the world would she be doing something like that? Taking a jar of perfume and pouring it on the head of Jesus. Jesus is at the home of Simon with some of his disciples. Matthew tells the part that here they are eating and this woman happens to walk in. This woman that we come to find out was Mary who happened to be the sister of Martha and also the sister of Lazarus who had been raised from the dead. Make note of that. And she comes in with this expensive jar of perfume. And she takes it and she breaks the neck of it off. She had to break the neck of it off because it had been sealed to protect it. And she breaks it and she takes that perfume bottle and she pours it on Jesus. Now there's some controversy as to or some, some, some differences in descriptions maybe I should say between whether it was his head or his feet. But it doesn't matter what it was. Different, percept, different, different people telling the story. But all we know is that what she did is she took, a, she took some very expensive perfume and she poured it on Jesus. Very expensive perfume. Matthew records she poured it on his head. And I can't even begin to imagine the fragrance that should have filled that room at that time. To sort of bring it to light to you, I was in Nicaragua a couple of years ago with a businessman, a local businessman, that I wouldn't dare mention his name except for it's Drew Davis. Now, you would think certain businessmen were manly men, but then there are some that deal with these essential oils, okay? Are you with me? Why in the world Drew wants to take essential oils to Nicaragua? I have no earthly idea. So Brian was on this trip. We were doing some videoing. We stayed in this hotel that the last time I stayed in this hotel, I got bed bugs. And to sort of put it in perception and context to you, Hotel doesn't necessarily mean hotel, okay? But the windows, if there were windows, had big holes in them. So I always take, when I'm in traveling in situations like this, I always take bags with me, garbage bags, so that I can sort of cover things up so that mosquitoes will stay out. Are you with me? Mosquitoes ate me up. I happened to stay in the exact same room that I had stayed before in this place. I left Drew in the room as he was un as he was opening up this case. And I said, Drew, what are you doing? He said, brother, I got to always have my oils with me. He said, he said they sort of, you know, this one does this and this does this and this does that. And I'm sort of uneducated in this, all right? So I'm going to leave it to your privacy while you do your business, okay? <laughs> all I know 
is that when I came back in, I couldn't even breathe. <laughs> That's all I know. And I'm trying to grasp, I'm trying to gasp, I'm gasping for air, and I'm saying, Drew, what in the world have you done, brother? And he said, brother, you ain't going to believe it. You're just not going to believe it. I said, well, why don't you enlighten me? Because I don't think I'm going to be able to stay in this room tonight. He said, well, man, he said, listen, I had taken my peppermint out because it helps me sleep at night. <laughs> and he said, I went to put a little dab on me. And he said, my, my, my little tip was off. And he said, when I went to give a little dab, he said, half the bottle came out. <laughs> so when I walked in the room, it was just like, whoo. The only thing I can tell you is that I had no bed bugs that night. I had no mosquitoes and nothing else. So when I got back to the States, I went out and bought myself some peppermint so that when I was in the... I can imagine the smell that filled this room with this expensive perfume. John goes on to say that the perfume that, was, that, that she poured on his head was worth a year's wages. Now... Let's put this in perspective. Let's just, let's, let's just say, let's just say, just say that a year's wages were $20,000. Just say. I don't think so. Let's just say that it was $2,000 or even $200. What person in their right mind is going to take $200 worth of perfume and pour it on somebody? Are you with me? I don't know any of us in this room that's going to do something like that. So what in the world was she doing? What was the reasoning behind that? So you can imagine the gasp behind the fact when she broke the top off of that bottle and she began to pour it over his head. Matter of fact, Matthew chapter 26 verse 8 says the disciples were indignant. In other words, what in the world are you doing, woman? When they saw it, it said, what a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money be given to the poor. So you got all these thoughts that are going on. It'd been really hard to have been friends with Jesus, wouldn't it? You didn't even have to say anything, you knew what you were thinking. He'd call you out. Never a word ever come out of your mouth. You're smiling, he's an idiot. See, you got some friends like that. You'll smile at them. You won't tell them the truth. But deep down you're going, my goodness gracious. But Jesus not only knew what they were thinking, regardless of what they said, but he knew the, he knew the motives behind their, their actions and their thoughts. And so here is Jesus knowing exactly what's going on, not only in her heart, are you with me? and the sacrifice that was going on in her heart and the love that she had in her heart, but he also knew about the other guys that were there. And in verse 10 he says, But Jesus, aware of this, replied, Why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? Why in the world criticize her? I mean, you'd think if she could do whatever she wanted. It was her perfume, Right? She was the one that had paid the sacrifice, but Jesus didn't see it as a waste. It was an honor, and he knew her heart. 
And because of the respect that she, she showed, Jesus said, you know, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And pay close attention because he said, she poured, has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. And I can imagine the gasp in the room for burial. What do you mean burial? Burial. I mean, we're just getting the party started here. We're fixing to, we're fixing to kick this thing off and get things going. Burial. Jesus, you can't die. You're the Messiah. And if you die, where does that leave us? And suddenly the perfume wasn't the biggest issue that they were facing. Suddenly the perfume became secondary. Because now, how would Jesus' death affect their life? And I want you to, pick, I want you to understand what Jesus says is next and in the, in the, how large it is. Because he goes on to say in verse 13, I tell you the truth, whatever, whenever the good news is preached throughout the world... In other words, whenever you either hear the story, the good news of Christ, he goes on to say, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Her act of sacrifice, her act of love will be discussed. And for some of you, this may be the first time that you've heard this story, but for others of you, you've heard it time and time again, and this is just a refresher. But a reminder, oh, wow, just a reminder for those of us that the scripture is true. It's very, very true. John goes on to give us even some more de details about what was going on at the table um, and that they were so upset. John, John gives us an impression that Judas, who happened to be the treasurer of the group, was upset because he wanted the money to go to the poor. Okay? So you got the guy that's supposed to be really trustworthy because if you, if you got a treasurer, you want the treasurer to be really trustworthy. Right, Steve? You want him to be a trustworthy guy. And you're thinking, well, he just wanted money so that he would be able to give it to the poor. But if you go to find out, what had Judas been doing with the money all along? He'd been filling his pockets. He was the keeper of the money, and yet all along he'd been filling his pockets. But for Judas, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. Because it was all, it was like, okay, Jesus, you know, you were the, you're supposed to be the Messiah. You're supposed to be the one that rescues us. You're supposed to be the one that's large and in charge and is going to take control of all of this and, and going to lead us out. You're the one that's supposed to help us defeat the Romans and establish a place of dominance in the region. Forget about what I'm doing. Nobody else really knows. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew. How are we supposed to develop this, this empire when you're wasting money? And the scripture goes on to say, and I make note of this because this is really important. Judas finally came to realize, he finally came to realize that his greedy desire for status and, and money probably was not going to happen up underneath Jesus. See, there was one thing that Jesus really was attracted to, power and authority. 
and a little bit more cash in his back pocket. So what would he do? Scripture goes on to say, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priest and asked, How much will you pay me to betray Jesus? We don't know exactly what he was thinking, but this is what we know, is that what way can I benefit from this situation? Since it's not going to work out the way that I think it should work out, or it's not going to go the way that I want it to go, then what way can I maybe turn it so that it benefits me? And Judas was very important, very, very important to the religious leaders because they knew to entrap Jesus would be very difficult because of the followers that he had. But Judas, he would be able to betray Jesus because he was an insider. He wasn't an outsider, but he was an insider. And he would be able to betray him. Where nobody else, he would be able to betray him. And the scripture records, and they gave him 30 pieces of silver. And to put this in perspective for you, 30 pieces of silver was enough for about five weeks' wages. It was about enough to purchase a slave, a normal slave of that day. So here's Judas, the guy that just moments earlier was hanging out with Jesus was watching, experiencing a part of a group of guys, and now, all of a sudden, he's at the point of betrayal, selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And it's easy to condemn him, isn't it? It's really easy to condemn Judas and go, I can't believe he would do something like that. Betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And yet how many of us have betrayed Jesus for much less? For what? For fame? For fortune? For another dollar? Because of another relationship? But we ourselves have betrayed him. It's easy.